I'm John DiLiberto, and you're hearing the Echoes podcast from PRX. Today, we go to the goth side of Echoes. Didn't know we had one? Don't know what goth is? Well, you'll find out when I talk to John Robb. He's a British musician and author who has written the definitive book of goth. It's called The Art of Darkness, The History of Goth. Bauhaus, Susie and the Banshees, The Cure, Joy Division, and more are all part of the goth arcana. For John Robb, it's all about darkness and psychedelia. It's a dark escapism, and it's also a dark psychedelia. These are dark times, so there was, it was a darker psychedelia. So it's like having your head in, in hell, you know, it's like on fire getting bombarded with boulders and darkness, which is a great feeling. That's John Robb. It's a wild trip with one of the deepest explorers of British rock. That's all in a few moments. Summertime is here, so you need to get your Echoes t-shirt going. We've got two for you right now. One is electric blue with the Echoes logo on the pocket position in front. And on the other side, it's the Echoes logo spread out across your back. We also still have some of our Black Echoes 30th anniversary t-shirts left. Let everyone you encounter know where the chill resides. Get yourself an Echoes t-shirt at echoes.org. That's echoes, E-C-H-O-E-S dot org, O-R-G. And now, step into the Cathedral of Goth with John Robb. I'm going to take you a bit outside of the Echo Zone today and into the world of goth. Some of you may know this music, others may know its somewhat cliched visual image of kids with dyed black hair, black eyeliner, black lipstick, and black clothes. But that's only the surface of a music movement that continues to this day and has influenced new generations of musicians, including many you hear on Echoes like Azam Ali, Delirium, Nouvelle Vague, and half the output on the Project label. English musician and author John Robb has just released an exhaustive chronicle of this movement called The Art of Darkness, The History of God. comes to goth, some might think of it like the church lady on Saturday Night Live. Hmm, could it be... Satan! It's Satan. <laughs> I bet people like to flirt with the idea of Satan just because it's... Uh, and it almost cartoonish kind of way. I think uh, Middle America's fears are never realised, are they? Because people always like to think anything they don't understand is must be satanic, mustn't I talked with John Robb on the Riverside app from his home in England. Although well, now in his early 60s, he still cuts a very punk rock figure with angular features, earrings, and a mohawk haircut. Defining goth isn't easy, but for Rob, one of its hallmarks is darkness. It's a music and a culture that embraces the dark side. 
Well, it's a really great saying, isn't it? Here you cannot embrace death, cannot fully enjoy life, and I really like that saying. So it doesn't mean that people are morose, you know, they embrace the melancholy and dance the melancholy, you know. There's a darkness inherent in the music, but also a joy as well, because life can be both at the same time, you know. It can't be Satan, it can't be God, it can't be... <laughs> you have two opposing ideas in the culture. Rob takes a spiritual, if not the musical genesis of goth, all the way back to ancient Rome. And the idea that Visigoths sacked classical Rome, classical culture, with this kind of shadowy dark force that rampaged across Europe, just kind of set the scene in a sense. So it became the byword for dark, you know, beyond the Rhine cultures. You know, centuries later when they built the churches were called Gothic churches because they were not in the classical style, the word starts cropping up again and it's this idea that it's not the proper culture, it's not the classical culture, it's a darker, dangerous culture. And those are kind of themes that chime very much into what eventually become goth. So the gothic architecture and the gothic arts and the gothic literature, I think are a very important part of the story. Goth is very much an English thing, but Rob traces its 20th century roots to bands like Southern California's The Doors. Jim Morrison, baritone voice. There he is, first great rock and roll baritone. It's black leather, so he's all in black. It's total sexy danger persona, very goth, I think. And also um, his love of the romantic poets. You know, you could shout a line out of a book at him. You know, not just Byron, but the very obscure romantic poets. And he'd be able to quote you a whole chapter back. But in the UK, my generation was introduced to the Doors by Apocalypse Now, the film. So 1979, when that came out, it was the biggest film. Everybody loved that film. And uh, the end by the doors is in the soundtrack of that. And it, was, it was a wild moment for a lot of people coming out of punk with that kind of cynical, dark mindset punk. And here's a track from 10 years before the soundtrack's a feeling. This is the end, beautiful friend. This is the end, my only friend. For John Robb, The Doors, Iggy Pop and the Stooges, and The Velvet Underground are all the beginnings of goth. All that music went across the pond to artists like David Bowie and Roxy Music. So I tell them that I can fly, I will scream, I will break my arm, I will do me harm, So when you crisscross that with a lot of people coming out of post-punk, kind of, in a way, you can see it's kind of introducing a bit of gothic DNA into the next generation. But goth really got going with bands like Susie and the Banshees. Formed initially by Susie Sue and bassist Steve Severn, they came out of the Sex Pistols era of punk, but crafted a more textured tribal sound that was more musical and, more lyrically, macabre. The first Banshees album is an incredible template album, but it's not just her, I mean, she, it was her vision, you know, so... When Kenny Morris, the drummer, went to his first audition, he was told not to use cymbals. In fact, she took the cymbals off the kit to stop him playing like a rock drummer. And she told John McKay, the guitar player, to play in the style of Psycho, the strings, like... <laughs> so you can hear that on his guitar, but he made his own. And I think that sound that he had, that chiming glass guitar sound, he was the first one to have it. I mean, Keith Levine is in the mix somewhere, and Keith was an amazing guitar player, stunning. Stunning. 
on HV7 in the book, he talked about this, and he talked about they weren't so much goth, but they were much more gothic. So, you know, they were much more interested in Edgar Allan Poe or gothic architecture or gargoyles on churches, you know, all that kind of thing, which is why that first part of the book has to be in there, because, as Steve says, C7 says, I mean, they didn't like to be thought of being goth, which is spelled G-O-F-F, you know, goth. <laughs> it's more gothic. They were serious about what they did, and... There's definitely a darkness, a shadowy darkness, a fascination with darkness. Another key early band following Susie and the Banshees was Joy Division, led by singer Ian Curtis. Hailing from Manchester, a hotbed of new rock music in the late 1970s, they were produced by Martin Hannett and influenced by David Bowie's Berlin Era records from himself and his productions for Iggy Pop. When you listen to Joy Division's records, what Martin Hannett probably was trying to do was make a Northern English Manchester version of the Berlin records. So you could say the Joy Division's first albums, especially, was a Manchester record of that time. You know, trying to capture that shadowy, minimalistic feel of those Berlin records, but with a Northern twist in it, which in a way creates a template for so much of what Goth was afterwards. You know, what I mean. Obviously, Joy Division don't dress in golf clothes, but there's such a huge influence on the music that came afterwards. All these artists and more led to the signature band of goth, Bauhaus. Releasing their first single in 1979, they were led by singer Peter Murphy and guitarist Daniel Ash, and their sound was heavier, moodier, and more threatening. And Murphy had the definitive goth voice. White on white, translucent black capes, black on the back. The little goose is dead. In the first rehearsal, they wrote Down the Goes He's Dead to just get Kevin the drummer to play a boss and overbeat and just stick a song together, a nine minute long sparse dark dub together, and three weeks later go and record it in the studio, the local studio. And that's the single that you hear. Undead, 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 the virgin of rights, file past his tomb, stumble times death Goth's richer sound was partly due to technology. While punks were ripping the tone controls out of their guitars to create the most raw sound possible, Goth began adding effects pedals, studio manipulations, and, heaven forbid, synthesizers. Martin Allen was inventing effects made Joy Division records and different soundscapes, different ways of making music, exploration of space in the music, and keyboards would come back. You weren't really allowed to use keyboards in punk. And then synthesizers were coming in and 
So that was all in there, you know, new studio techniques, new ways of making records, also new guitar pedals, you know, people using phasers, people using like chorus pedals, you know, these are all just coming in into the mass market as, as affordables, you know. So to try and find your own space in music, you, you would use pedals to try and change your sound to find different ways of making the sounds because you don't want to replicate anything that's gone before. Nineteen seventy-nine through eighty was the high water of goth, with artists like Susie and the Banshees, Bauhaus, Gary Newman, Joy Division, and The Cure releasing their first recordings. It was only a decade after the first psychedelic age, and John Robb thinks this was every bit as psychedelic. It's a dark escapism, and it's also a dark psychedelia. There's a really good argument in the book, which we do present quite a bit in the book, that a lot of goth was psychedelic. Now, you're probably going to say that's 1960s, you never wore a paisley shirt. But this is a modern British psychedelia, it was monochromatic, because we're living in a monochromatic period. A lot of people were doing hallucinogenic drugs, but they weren't coming out with Peace and Love Man. These are dark times, so there was, it was a darker psychedelia. So the Banshees records are psychedelic. I mean, and The Cure made psychedelic records. Pornography is a fantastically psychedelic record, but a very dark one. You know, if you do psychedelics to that record and I'm not saying any of your listeners should do psychedelics but it's like having your head in in hell you know it's like on fire getting bombarded with boulders and darkness which is a great feeling psychedelic aspect there's a deep dystopian fear in goth music in a sense it was reacting to the darker surroundings but also escaping from them it's a dark escapism a lot of the dystopian imagery comes from science fiction especially author jg ballard known for his books like high rise crash and the atrocity exhibition oh god yeah he was, he was so important just the atmosphere his books created that dystopian atmosphere but also just the way it comes up beyond and the way the magic and the mundane but the dark magic and the mundane you know like high rise you know like a block of flats what happens there you know and it's uh, it's an influence isn't it just the atmospheres his books create and that sense of sci-fi claustrophobia it was so influential wasn't it Rob tends to see goth music pretty much everywhere if it's at all dark, even citing bands like My Chemical Romance and Massive Attack as goth influenced. But of course, even the signature bands of goth don't call themselves that. The thing about goth is that all the bands, and nearly every band that I write about in the book, 
will collect these little golf bags. I've only scratched the surface of John Robb's massive survey of goth music. His book is The Art of Darkness, The History of Goth, published by Louder Than War Books. I will have a link to John Robb's The Art of Darkness, The History of Goth, and the posting for the show. I've also put up a playlist in that posting for all the songs that were played in the feature. It's all at echoes.org. Next week on the Echoes podcast, Delirium, one of the first dream pop bands. They talk about their latest album, Signs, and many of the great singers they've worked with. I'm John DiLiberto, and this has been the Echoes Podcast from PRX. See you next week, tonight on the radio somewhere in the country, or at Echoes Online right now or whenever you want. Echoes.